Scripture calls us to consider the faith of those who have gone before us and to imitate their faith. And so this summer, what we're doing is looking at different characters from Hebrews chapter 11 and considering their faith. We're looking at their faith, considering the outcome of their faith, and then we want to learn from that and imitate that. So today we're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, looking at Abraham and Sarah. But before we look at the passage, I want to ask you two questions. What pursuit controls your life? Think about that for a minute, just for yourself. What pursuit controls your life? Is it the pursuit of money? Is it the pursuit of friends? Is it the pursuit of retirement or career advancement? What pursuit controls your life? Next question, who controls your life? So what pursuit controls your life and then who controls your life? Or who is in control of your life? I don't want you to think about the right answer. I want you to think about the real answer. Most of us in this room this morning, we probably know the right answer to these questions. Well, the pursuit of Jesus Christ controls my life. That's the right answer. Is it the real answer for you? If you had to assess how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what your thoughts dwell on, does the pursuit of Jesus Christ control your life or does the pursuit of comfort control your life? I think in an American context, we are Christians who happen to be living in America and part of the American pursuit is comfort. I think that impacts us as Christians living in America. I think for most of us, our life is actually controlled by the pursuit of of comfort. Maybe it's career advancement. You want to advance in your career. You want to be successful in your career. Well, why is that? Because then either you can become the boss and you can control how things go and you can make your living, your working situation comfortable for you, or you can increase your finances, which means you can use the weekend how you want to because you have enough money to afford a cabin and some fun things, and so you can pursue comfort all you want. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a spouse. Many of our pursuits, I think most of our pursuits can be boiled down into the pursuit of comfort. We desperately desire to be comfortable and to make this chaotic, unorganized, uncomfortable life as comfortable as we possibly can. I think that's true for most of us. I think it's also true for most of us that while we would say, if we're here in church, we would probably say that God controls our life. Or at least he's supposed to, right? I mean, I think we all know that answer. If you've been around church for any period of time, you know that the answer to that should be God. But is it actually God? Is God in control of your life? Do you run your decisions by him? Do you pause and do you, do you consider his ways and consider his answers and consider what he has to say? Or are you in control of your life? Is your spouse in control of your life? Are your kids in control of your life? And if you're a parent with young kids like mine, the answer is yes to that one. They control your life, whether you want them to or not. But really, is God in control of your life? Or do you try and control your life? 
Do you try and figure everything out? Do you try and make plans? Do you try and make things happen? Do you think that everything depends on you? And if you fail, things are going to fall apart. So you better get in control. You better be strong. You better, you better grow. You better know things. You better take control of the situation or the, your life. Otherwise, it's going to all spin out of control. I think today as we look at Abraham and Sarah, we see that faith sacrifices comfort and it surrenders control. This is good news for us. Faith in God, true faith in God, genuine faith in God, Yahweh, the one true God, the creator of the heavens and earth, the father of Jesus the Christ, the one who has granted us the Holy Spirit. Genuine and true faith in him sacrifices comfort and surrenders control. We see that in Abraham and Sarah. So let's look at it in their life. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read God's word from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. And if you could follow along as I read this passage, it's on page 1007 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God, I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable unto you. I pray that these wouldn't be my words, but your words. Lord, I pray that you would make your word living and active in us. We ask you to do this for your glory, for our good and the advance of your kingdom, we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So in Abraham and Sarah, we see that genuine faith, true faith, sacrifices comfort and surrenders control. I think that's what we see here in this passage. That's what we see here if we were to read about and study their life in Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 25. We don't have enough time this morning to go through all those Old Testament chapters, but I encourage you to read them this upcoming week as you consider what you hear here this morning. And consider, read through this passage right here in Hebrews 11 and read through Genesis 12 through 25 and kind of compare it and see what God is doing in their life. Faith 
cause them to sacrifice comfort and to surrender control. The first one I want to dive into is that it caused them to sacrifice the pursuit of personal comfort, exchanging it for holy obedience. So they had a genuine faith in God that caused them to sacrifice the pursuit of personal comfort and exchange it for holy obedience. Here's what I want you to hear this morning, or here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear that if you have any comforts in life and that if God has blessed you with comfortable things and certain areas of comfort, that that's bad and you have to shun that. We see through in the scriptures that God brings us through different trials, different times of blessing, all for his glory, for our good, and the advance of his gospel. So please don't hear in this message that we are to intentionally shun all comforts and run towards the uncomfortable. But what I do want us to see and consider is that in the Christian life, God often leads his people into the most uncomfortable and uncontrollable situations for his glory and for our good. That's been true in my life. It's, been, it's true in most of the figures in scripture that we read about that God has led them into uncomfortable and uncontrollable situations so that we could experience that he is God, he is good, he's in control, he knows what true comfort looks like. So genuine faith in Abraham and Sarah, it sacrificed their primary pursuit of comfort. God gave them a day of rest for their comfort, for their joy, for their good, but the primary pursuit of their life was not to seek comfort. We see this right here in the text, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, okay, so it's all a product of faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. Okay, so God had given Abraham faith. He heard God. Faith enables to hear from God. And he obeyed God. Faith in God or trust in God allows us and enables us to step out trusting him. So by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. Going challenges our pursuit of comfort, doesn't it? Where did he go? Let's keep reading. To a place that he was to receive as inheritance. So God had given him this future promise. God had promised to make him a great nation, to give him a, a great land. And then look at what the end of verse 8 says. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Talk about giving up the pursuit of comfort we're usually most comfortable when we know where we are and where we're going, right? I don't know about you, but, but that's true for me. I'm most comfortable when, when I know what the circumstances are, when I can rest easy because I know that no chaos is going to come. But here's what it says about true faith, genuine faith in God. That it produced Abraham to step out in faith to go, not knowing where he was going. In Genesis chapter 12, we're told that he left his land. He left Ur or, or Haran. He left his people. He left his culture. He left his family. He took his, his immediate family with him, but he left his extended family, and he went. Where did he go? We're told right here, to a place that he did not know. He heard the voice of God. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Go. And it says he listened. He obeyed. He gave up his comfortable circumstances. He was living in a culture, in a land with family and friends. He knew the language. He knew the culture. He was comfortable. Him and his wife, Sarah, were comfortable. It was their homeland. It was you Minnesotan in Minnesota. 
You're comfortable. You understand the lingo. You understand Minnesota nice. You understand the coffee. You understand how life works here in Minnesota. And many of us like to stay close to what we know, to what's comfortable for us. But we see in Abraham and Sarah that genuine faith pushed them out of their comfort zone into a place that they didn't know what was ahead and they followed him, exchanging the pursuit of that comfort for holy obedience. They obeyed because they had faith. We also see, so that's a characteristic of faith, that it causes us to sacrifice the pursuit of comfort. We see that in them as they went into a place where they didn't know that they were going. It also allowed them to embrace life as strangers and exiles. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. How do we know that Abraham and Sarah gave up the primary pursuit of personal comfort? Because they lived as strangers and exiles on earth. How many of us do we, does most of our time and our attention and our money and our thought process come on, how do we establish a comfortable life here on earth? How do I use my money to make my house the most comfortable for me? It's one thing to make your house comfortable to have others in it and to do life and to do ministry out of it, but how many of us are thinking through, how do I make my life more comfortable? How do I settle down? How do I find the right community that my family can be the safest in? That's not a life led by faith. Now, there's wisdom in the midst of following God. But how many of us are our thoughts consumed with, how do I make my life comfortable? How do, I, how do I actually live my life as though this is my home? Abraham and Sarah, opposite. They sacrificed the primary pursuit of comfort for holy obedience, and it says that they lived as strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 13. Strangers and exiles on the earth. Why? Why would anyone do that? Keep reading, it tells us. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Okay, so they're strangers and exiles. They left Ur, they left Haran, they left all that they knew, following God in obedience, living as strangers and exiles, seeing that this life, this world, this existence here on planet Earth isn't my ultimate destination. They were seeking a homeland. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, if they had been thinking about Ur and Haran, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. We see in Abraham and Sarah that a life of faith isn't trying to set up shop and make our little homes here on earth our eternal homes. We see that a life of faith that follows God and puts him first and seeks to walk with him says, comfort will not be my primary pursuit doesn't mean I can't go on a weekend vacation and have some comforts. But my life will not be defined by trying to make this earth my home. I'm a stranger. I'm an exile. I'm an alien. I live for a different life, a heavenly life, an eternal life. And so God, lead me. I've sacrificed my primary pursuit of comfort for the primary pursuit of discipleship. To tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. To follow as God leads. We see this in the life of Abraham and Sarah. The next one we see is that they surrendered the illusion of control 
and trusted God's plan and purpose. Now, I put the illusion of control there because control is always an illusion, isn't it? Amen. Control is always an illusion. You're not in control of your life. You don't control anything. You can't guarantee that you have a job tomorrow. You can't guarantee that you get home from this church building safely today. You can't guarantee that a tornado is not going to rip through your, your, your neighborhood this afternoon. We are not in control. Yet control and the idea of control is an illusion that many of us give into. We attempt to control things. We attempt to control circumstances. We attempt to control our own life in the effort to produce comfort in our life. But control is a myth. Control is an illusion. Control is something that is never within our grasp. And so in Abraham and Sarah, we see that a characteristic, a component of faith is to surrender control. Or maybe I should say to acknowledge that control isn't ours anyway. They went out, what does Hebrews 9 say? They went out not knowing where they were going. Who's in control in that situation? How uncomfortable do you get when you're following somebody who you don't have control over? It's uncomfortable. It forces us to wrestle with things and to really question, do we trust this person that we're following? But in the life of Abraham and Sarah, we see that, that they surrendered the illusion of control and trusted God's plan and purpose. Look at how it says this here in verse 11. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him who had promised to be faithful. They trusted God with conception for their son, Isaac. Now, God had promised Abraham and Sarah to make them a great nation, to bless them, and that their descendants would be as numerous as the, the stars in the sky or as many as the sand on the seashore. As they were leaving their country, as they were leaving their comfort zone, they, were, they weren't pursuing comfort. They gave up comfort, and they let go of control, saying, okay, God, we will follow you on this journey God said, part of this condition, part of this covenant is that you will be blessed and you will have many children. And year after year after year, Sarah failed to get pregnant. What I love about this, they surrendered the illusion of control and learned to trust God. This was a process for Abraham and Sarah. As we'll see in the scriptures that all of these portraits of faith who we look at other than Jesus all of them other than Jesus had their own sin and baggage and issues. Abraham and Sarah had to learn how to trust God. They surrendered control when they stepped out, when they left their homeland. In chapter Hebrews 11, verse 8, when it says that they obeyed as they went out, they were called and they went out. They went, that was an initial step of obedience. That was them saying, okay, God, you are in control, we will follow. But on the journey, they tried to take control back. It's like this wrestling match with God. Have you ever been there? You're like, God, I trust you. I know that you're in control, but can I just control this circumstance? Because I don't, maybe I don't trust you with this circumstance. I, I think I can do this better. That happened with Abraham and Sarah. They're real people who had real struggles. They go into Egypt. This is in Genesis 13. They go into Egypt, and Sarah, Abraham tells Sarah to tell the Egyptians that she is his sister because he thinks that if they know that they're married, the Egyptians will kill Abraham and sleep with Sarah. 
So he's concerned about the situation. Is God really in control? Will God protect my wife? Will God care for my wife? I've got an idea. I can control the situation. I'll tell the Egyptians that she's my sister, and then they'll sleep with her without killing me. That's what was going on in Abraham's mind. He tried to take back control. And God graciously worked with Abraham and Sarah because God is a God of grace. At year, between year 12 and 13, so God calls them to go. He promises them to, to make them a great nation. They step out, trusting God, giving God control. They're journeying with God. And along the way, Abraham tries to take control this way. Year 12 and 13, Sarah's still not pregnant. Year after year after year. God promised us this. I'm not getting pregnant. They're getting older in age. She's past the childbearing age. And she thinks, I've got an idea. Abraham, sleep with your maidservant, Haggai. And then she'll have a child. That child will be your descendant. And then through that child, God will bless the nations of the world. She tried to take back control. They had done this initial step of faith. God, we trust you. We're going to follow you. And somewhere along the journey, their, their faith weakened. They tried to take back control. They're real people just like you and I. We try and take control back from God. We try and convince ourselves that we can do things better than him. Or maybe we don't try and convince ourselves of that. We subconsciously believe that. Abraham and Sarah, same thing. Yet they continued on this journey with their failures in God's grace. And it ultimately tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 11, that by faith Sarah herself conceived. So though she wrestled with God for control, Though she thought God was out of control and she would take circumstances into her own hands and had her husband get a maidservant pregnant who had a son, Ishmael, not God's chosen plan, not God's chosen son, not the son that the worlds would be blessed through. That's Isaac who would come from Sarah. 25 years later. 25 years from the date that they left Ur and set out on this great adventure. 25 years of barrenness, eventually Sarah becomes pregnant. Do you trust God? Did they trust God? Do you trust God's timing? Do you trust the way that he leads? If you're not seeing the results or the fruit instantly and as fast as you want, have you waited 25 years for God to deliver his promise? Abraham and Sarah had to trust that God was in control they wrestled with it. It was a process for them to learn from, but they had to give up control. They had to surrender control and trust God. They trusted God for Isaac, for his birth. It's what verse 11 tells us, that by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. So she was barren. I think what this is telling us, that physically there were circumstances in her life that would keep her from getting pregnant. Yet because of God's promise and because of their continued walking in God's promises, eventually God enabled her supernaturally to be able to conceive their son Isaac, through whom the Lord would bless the nations. So they had to trust God for Isaac. They also had to then trust God with Isaac. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. If we're to go back and read the Genesis story, we know that God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his one and only son. Can you imagine how uncomfortable and how out of control these circumstances feel? 
God has promised them. They left everything that they knew. They left their family. They left their friends. They left their comfort zones to follow this God who caused them to wait 25 years to get pregnant. And then once she was finally pregnant and gave birth to the son Isaac, God said, now I want you to sacrifice him. That means kill him. God, are, are you in control? Seems like you're out of control. Can I, can I trust you? It seems like this is crazy. Why would you ask me to sacrifice the son who you have promised to bless the world through? It's because they had to surrender control and trust God's plan and his purpose. So Abraham walked up the mountain with his son Isaac, and he's about to sacrifice him, and God delivers a goat for sacrifice. It says that by faith, Abraham, test, when he was tested, he did it. He offered up his son because he trusted God. So Abraham and Sarah, they trusted God for their son, and they trusted God with their son. How many times do we trust God initially, and he gives us something, and then we try and wrap our arms around it, we try and clench our fists around it. God, you can't take this from me. God, you can't do this. You can't do that. You have to do this quicker. You have to do this slower. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for that. I, I, I. Do you trust God? I mean, can, can you sense what Abraham and Sarah must have been going through? And yet, genuine faith in God the Father produces in us an ability to give up the pursuit, the primary pursuit of comfort, and to release control. Because we have a good Father who knows what He's doing, who is in control, and knows how to give us the genuine and true comfort that our hearts desire. So the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? In Abraham and Sarah, we see that faith releases control and it surrenders comfort, trusting that God can get us what we need much more efficiently, much more effectively than we could. I'm going to have Sherry Ness, one of our members, actually come up now and just give us some testimony of how she has learned about trusting God in this last um, few years of life. I think she has an incredible story that I think helps us to understand what this looks like in a practical everyday life from someone who's not up here getting paid to preach at you about it. Yeah. Right? We're not paying you. No. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> so. This is kind of weird, though. Is it weird? Should we just stand? <laughs> I don't know. So, Jimmy Fallon, how yeah, are you? Yeah, <laughs> I wish I was as funny. Let's see. Anyone got a joke for me to tell Sherry to get started here? Thank you for coming up. Um, yes, I just, and this is going to answer the question, is why does that lady wear sunglasses inside all the Maybe that's the time? leading question. Why do you always wear sunglasses? <laughs> do you not want to see us? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a weird health history. So three years ago, um, I started having these strange symptoms of it being chronically fatigued. I was a runner at that time, and I, could hard, I couldn't go for a run. Um, so weak, kind of flu-like. That developed into foot numbness which led to uh, the inability to lift my one foot, and shooting pain was happening at the time. I couldn't sleep during the night. Um, ended up being hospitalized and had a nerve biopsy that showed a really weird autoimmune disease called microscopic polyangitis. Angitis. So my small blood vessels shut down and they stopped communicating with my muscles. Um, and fortunately, I'm in remission. I went through infusions, and so that's all settled down. But then, um, about two and a half years ago, this leads to the sunglasses. Two and a half years ago, I started, I got an ulcerated cornea and went through a whole bunch of transplants, four of them, 
and um, lots of eye drops. You probably have seen me with my little baggie full of eye drops, putting eye drops in. Um, anyway, this eye became so problematic. I, it, it brought so much pain. The shooting pain was one thing in my feet when I was diagnosed with autoimmune disease, but just so much eye pain. There's so many nerves in your eye. I was, sometimes I would just stay in a dark room all day because it just hurt so much. So I went through four transplants, trying to get the cornea fixed, four corneal transplants, and none of them took. So we came, my husband John and I came to call my eyeball Susan because she just took up so much of our lives. Had her own personality. <laughs> Very difficult person. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had Susan taken out of my head because <laughs> she was getting in the way <laughs> on May 18th. And, um, Anyway, I wear the sunglasses because I have a really creepy eye. But I'm getting a Susie. <laughs> I'm getting a prosthetic eye in about three weeks. Are you sure that's the right name, Joyce? I think we're going to go with Susie. About this yeah, okay. we're much more energetic, and I couldn't do all kinds of strange things. I could, couldn't ride in a vehicle with the windows open. I couldn't go on a roller coaster ride. I couldn't be in lakes, pools, spas, blah, 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 blah. Susie is going to be very useful and release life to me again. Great. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. So with that story of health issues and, and losing your eye, I mean, scriptures call us to walk by faith, not by sight. I'm sure that hits yes. you in a whole different way now than it, than it may have used to. Yes. What, that's a circumstance that I'm imagining you wouldn't desire to go through, losing your eye. Mm -hmm. um, how has that circumstance caused you to, to trust, to doubt God's trustworthiness, if mm -hmm. it has? Have you, have you wrestled with God about why would you do this? Mm -hmm. That Are you trustworthy? Real, that's really mild <laughs> statement. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we're human and all of us have times where you feel like you're visited with the absence of God because it's so tempting to try to define the amount of love God has for me with how smooth my life is. Um, so, yes, I would feel like, you know, where are you? Or just at best, God was indifferent to me and didn't really care about what I was going through. Um, but I think that during those seasons, I was pulled out of them a lot because I've got a, an amazing husband who was, um, sorry, he's so good and we, we need to do this for each other to remind each other who we really are. So I got into a habit, Mike was talking a few weeks ago about rhythms and how we need to have spiritual rhythms. I got into a habit of waking in the morning and before I would do anything else, get out of bed, I would remind myself who I am how God sees me. For those of us who have trusted Jesus, we have an incredible reality. We are found in Christ, and he is in me. He's given me a new heart. Yes, I sin, but boy, man, isn't it comforting to know that our primary definition is that we are saints and that he adores us? I, this is such a huge trust, because I, I don't want to believe naturally that he really loves me deeply and is enjoying me and sings over me, but that's my major thing I would start with every morning is trusting that. And when I forget, John would be good to remind me. Um, it's interesting, we were talking about Abba t this morning, and I started this practice years ago uh, before my feet would hit the floor of saying Abba's prayer, that um, when you can't control life and it's going a direction you just don't want to, it was a prayer of surrender. Many times with my hands up, many times I'd lay there for a long time praying it until it would settle in, but it would be a simple prayer of, Abba, 
Daddy, I belong to you. And it frees me from feeling like how life is unfolding is somehow a reflection of how much he loves me because he loves me and he will bring into my life what I need. And for me, that also, I, you know, my other eye that is here, it is um, not healthy. It's, I'm, I'm legally blind in that eye, but fortunately I have correction with contact lenses. But I kind of feel like I'm inching towards blindness, which is probably sounds kind of dramatic, but, <laughs> but I do kind of feel that way sometimes. But yet I know if that happens, my father loves me, and he knows just what I need. What I need to experience his love the best. And if that's what he has for me, then that's where I'll go. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Amen. I think that's, that's an encouraging word and a reminder to all of us that we have circumstances in our lives that happen that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. Right. And yet, we need to remind one another. John, thank you for reminding Sherry of that when she forgets it. Thank you for doing your work to wake up in the morning and say, God, I, I want to trust you. Right? And we need to remind one another that of who God is and how he cares for us. That is the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we are adopted, we are made new. As Sherry said, we have a new identity. Yeah. Jesus is in us. It's He's living a, in it's us. It's a game changer, right? Yeah. That yeah. reality, that truth, yeah. that, that changes everything about right. being on the, all these planets, all these galaxies, billions and billions and billions of people. Hmm. He chooses to see you and see me and each one of us and knows our hearts and our concerns and our weights. It's, that's crazy. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And that's what we have. That's what we hold on yeah. to. And, and will you trust that? Will you trust what God says about you through his word, through the sign of sending his son, Jesus Christ, through giving us the spirit? I, I say often that in the gospel, we have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. We don't have to prove to God that we're worth loving. Yes. And... We can lose things in, in this lifetime. We can lose an eye, and yet you have eternity to live for where you will see perfectly. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Just look out. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not always an easy journey. <laughs> no. Well, let's pray for Sherry and pray as the, as the band comes up. And we want to respond to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, as Hebrews says here, so if we go on reading in Hebrews chapter 11, we get to the end. It says, and all these, the, the figures of faith that have just been listed and we'll continue going through them this summer, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. He hadn't come yet. They lived before Jesus, although Jesus was eternally existing. We can get into that another day. But since God had provided something better for us, and that word is to us, he's provided something better for us here in this room, that apart from us, they, the old figures, should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Sherry's one of those witnesses, the Alphers are those witnesses, Rachel's that witness. This body, as we look around, we are the cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So that's what we're responding to this morning, the work of Jesus Christ. And we'll do that with communion. We'll, we'll pass the elements to you today. And as you receive the cracker, let that remind you that Jesus' body was broken for you, proving God, the good Heavenly Father's trust, and that he loves us and that we can trust him. The cup represents Jesus' blood shed for us, proving to us that God can be trusted because he makes good on his promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life that we're incapable of living, that you died a sacrificial death, a brutal death, in our place, on our behalf, and that because of that, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of a holy heavenly Father who loves us supremely and will do anything to redeem us. So Lord, I thank you for the way that you lead. I pray that you would help us as a church body to to sacrifice the pursuit of personal comfort. I pray that that would not be our goal in life and to surrender the illusion of control and to just acknowledge that you are in control and what you bring for us is what is best for us. May you massage that into our hearts and spirits this morning as we grow in our trust of you. And Lord, we thank you for Sherry. Pray that you would bless her and John as they continue to walk through this journey. Thank you for reminding Sherry that she is a child of the living God and what more could she need? Lord, we do pray that you would protect her health. We ask that you would preserve her other eye and that that would not fail her. Lord, may your will be done in Sherry's life as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.